Today, we're going to talk about how you can actually feel comfortable in that middle ground between on the bandwagon and totally off the bandwagon of perfectionism and five ingredients actually worth adding to your avoid if possible list. And we're back. Episode number 39. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Um, I've got a, I've got kind of this, today's episode is a little bit of a burr in my saddle, um, which I guess it's one of those things. Diane Sanfilippo uh, in her Build a Badass Business podcast, which if you haven't listened to is an excellent resource, especially I know there are a lot of people who listen to this show that are starting their own businesses and in the grind. Um, and I think that it's a great resource for folks like that, especially um, considering the, the internet age and how so much of our business transpires in this social media internet world. Anyways, that was a little tangent. Um, but something that Diane always says is, the thing that's burning, do that. Right? Whatever it is, with all of our monstrous lists of to-dos and all the possibilities and all the ways we can take our work um, and all the projects we can really dive into, there's got to be one on that list that's actually burning. And that's a concept I really appreciate, uh, that kind of direction, because when I was when mapping out the podcast, the Fed and Fit podcast and all the things that I want to cover, I have sheets of things that I want to talk to you guys about, and it's pretty much never ending. I have all these ideas and all these people I want to bring in and share with you, um, you know, some really good, solid knowledge and perspectives so that you can get a really good grasp of um, the landscape at large. And while creating that list, there was one of these, especially one of those topics that was burning, you know, and like I said at the beginning of the show, kind of like a burr in my saddle. So I want to talk about it today, and the, the spin I'm taking it is, um, so that it is a productive episode, is I want to talk about five ingredients to avoid, okay? So be on the lookout. Now, having said that, having talked, as we prepare to talk about five ingredients that I encourage you to avoid, and th- these are the ingredients I mean like when you're strolling up and down the grocery aisle, um, things to, to read on labels and look for. And if you have a choice between, let's say, one can of salsa that has one of the ingredients on this list and one can of salsa that does not, you know, then there, at that point, you've got a really great opportunity to choose the one that doesn't, you know, because you know it will benefit your overall health goals and efforts more. Okay, so that's really the purpose of this episode is to provide you with that. Now, The thing that's burning that I want to talk about is, and it's one of the most common questions and dilemmas that us, you know, quote, real food nutrient seekers, or maybe you're paleo, whatever it is, it's it's this dilemma that we all eventually have to face. And it boils down to how far down the rabbit hole do you really want to travel in terms of the foods that you will eat and the foods that you will not eat. Okay, so if we dial back from a 60,000 foot view, you know, you're up in an airplane and you're looking down at the world of all of your food choices, you can see when you first start off, you see macros as the do's and don'ts, you know, and when when I'm I'm using the term macro inappropriately here, 
Um, but what I really want to get at is like we see that we're not going to eat grains anymore because we know that grains are um, really inflammation inducing and we're going to cut that entire food group out and we're going to add in healthy proteins and we're going to add in healthy fats and we're going to um, avoid maybe irresponsibly raised dairy because we know that that's not really health promoting. Um, we're going to avoid a lot of those artificial ingredients, a lot of those processed sugars, you know, all of those big chunks, those big food groups that make sense to us from that elevated foot view. You can kind of wrap your mind around as a beginner coming in, you can understand those food groups and you can understand the ones to stick to, you know, the healthy proteins, all the vegetables, the starchy vegetables, the fruits, the healthy fats, nuts, seeds, butter, olive oil. You know, we see those as health-promoting foods, and we can get on board with that, all right? So that's where most of us start off at, you know, for about the first year of being introduced to this kind of nutrient-seeking, so to speak, you know, a really healing anti-inflammatory diet. However, because this industry, and by this industry, I mean the real food paleo industry, because it tends to attract us type A, ever eager to improve type people, we tend to want to learn even more once we get the hang of the macros, do's and don'ts, right? So once we've kind of got all of the major food groups under our belt and we know how to navigate them and we feel really confident, it's like we start to get really curious about, well, how? let's split some more hairs and let's see, you know, now that I know that um, healthy proteins are something we want to do. Well, let's start digging into which types of meats are the best, or um, let's start looking at nutrient timing or micro calculations, you know, micronutrients. And we can really start to split hairs. And what I want to touch at, and I'm not saying that there's anything innately wrong with that, um, but the thing that's burning with me and the burr is I just want to point out that. If we chase all those rabbits down their little obsessive holes, we can eventually back ourselves into such a restricted, restrictive corner that we're afraid to eat out, you know, and think about if you've ever seen the show Portlandia, um, one of the most popular episodes there is um, they go into a restaurant and they order chicken and it's free range chicken. And, you know, and then they start asking questions about the farmer and then, you know, and it takes, of course, a comedic spin on it, but they start asking, you know, what was the chicken's name? Did he have a nice life? You know, and so it's just one of those kind of obsessive rabbit holes we can go down. And if that's what you choose to pursue, that's great, but it doesn't have to be, it does, that does not have to be the way to health, you know, or the way to achieving balanced, sustainable health, um, you know, and even more so in this, if we think of ourselves in that restrictive corner, we might be afraid to buy anything from a grocery store because let's say we understand now that buying straight from our farmer, farmer or growing all of our food in our backyard is the best way to go. And yeah, I agree with that. That is the best, but it's not the only way to go. And it's not the only way to achieve health. So, and then ultimately the part that I guess really kind of causes this issue to be one that really burns me is the fact that when we have chased these rabbits down those holes and we've done the research 
And we feel like we've got a really good bearing on all of the minor ingredients and little things that are in everything. And the reason we choose, um, you know, beef over pork in certain areas of the country and things like that is that we come, we, we come, we get to stick our head up out of the water of all of our research and all of our opinions. And we tend to pass judgment on the people who are just out starting off and just making those grand strides towards mostly better. You know, and those are the people who might be in their first year of just looking at the major food groups that they are going to eat and are not going to eat. And I think that we need to have a little bit, us, and I'm speaking to the audience right now, and I I hate if this comes across as um, a little harsh on my end, but I really, I challenge those of us who have been in this industry for a long time um, to show grace to the people who are doing mostly better and support regardless, you know, and we talked about that on our episode, how to paleo with grace. Um, one of the biggest pieces of advice was don't give advice unless it's asked of you. And I think that that's important, you know, being in the grocery store when someone's about to check out and looking at what they've got on their cart, um, you know, and, and either, either actively or passively passing judgment on them, um, it can be pretty damaging. So, you know, just support people, encourage them, tell them they're doing great because at the end of the day, that's more beneficial than nitpicking other people's choices. So, you know, and I totally get this whole dilemma. I get it. I've been there. I've lived it. That's why I can speak to it. I've, quote, been paleo for, you know, close to six years now. And I really understand the temptation to see how far I can chase that perfectionist rabbit down into its obsessive hole. Okay. But that being said, I do not think that the perfectionist model is one that will last you know, and what I have decided is that I am in the business of finding, illustrating, and encouraging a model that is a health model, a nutrition model, a lifestyle model that is based on your intuition and what's, what balance equation is right for you. That's a model that will actually last. So, what I, what I wish for you is to go off and live and make decisions that you feel great about and don't, don't fret the small stuff. Um, I will keep researching a lot of those um, avenues to perfect health, you know, a lot of those rabbit holes, and I will keep coming back to present findings that I think are most relevant. Um, examples of some of those, you know, a little bit more nitpicky topics include our episodes on hydration, sleep, alcohol, um, some of the things I've written on beauty products on my blog. Uh, but for the most part, please know that you can trust me to stay above the fray, above that obsessive fray. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. That was the thing that was burning that I wanted to talk about. And it, it does lead me in to, um, there are some smaller ingredients, some ingredients that once you do kind of zoom in a little bit, Let's say if you do kind of have the hang now of those major food groups. Well, in the world of today's, you know, our ability to Google and be just terrified by all of the dangers of horrible ingredients that are in all of our foods, you know, like that restrictive corner I was talking about where you're afraid to even go to the grocery store because there isn't a single thing you could buy that has not been 
touched by this, by, by whatever it is that you've read online. You know, news stories come out that there's no such thing as an organic strawberry. And all of a sudden, and if you're curious about that, I encourage you to Google it because um, I don't have time to talk about it today. But all of a sudden now people are afraid to ever buy strawberries, you know, and that's okay if that's your decision. But I, I at least want people to be able to sit down and compare apples to apples. You know, what really poses a significant threat to their health and what is maybe over-dramatized by not just the media, but today's bloggers, you know, and all these people on social media that are going to be posting these scare stories. So, okay, so I do think there are some ingredients worth looking out for, worth avoiding, so that they don't sabotage your health efforts um, or your efforts to bolster your own health. And as possibly frightening as these five ingredients may seem, I narrowed it down to five, I do encourage you to take them with a grain of salt. Okay, so I'm not out to strike fear into your eager for health hearts. I am out to really help you become an empowered consumer who has enough information to make your own informed decisions. So whether that's, whether you choose to avoid foods that have these ingredients or not, at least you're informed. At the end of the day, that is my only goal. My only goal is to inform you. It is not to dictate your every movement. And it's not for me to tell you what's best for your health and your family's health. It's just to present you with what I believe to be the most relevant facts, the most relevant information that has been really kind of you boil all of the drama down. These are the nuggets that are left worth really considering. Okay, so number one ingredient on this list is called carrageenan. It is spelled C-A-R-R-A-G-E-E-N-A-N. And carrageenan has been one of those ingredients you have probably seen uh, in the media of late. Some various news stories have come out about it. It is a natural food additive that has been derived from seaweed. Okay, It's a polysaccharide compound um, that's kind of surfaced recently to be known uh, to trigger an immune response. And so what that means is it'll like kick in your, um, your white blood cells and an immune response essentially is, goes hand in hand with inflammation in your body. And, excuse me, like we said at the beginning of this episode, this real food, paleonutrient-seeking diet is really an anti-inflammatory diet, right? Because the... If you really look at the root cause to the majority of our health issues, it boils down to inflammation. Okay, so if we want to if we want to promote broad, sweeping good health, then we need to start looking at broad, sweeping anti-inflammatory efforts. Okay, and carrageenan is one of those ingredients. Now that doesn't sound to be so bad, except that it has been found to be. Um, and a special gut irritant. And carrageenan, the reason I have carrageenan on my list opposed to some other ones is because if you are pursuing this healthier lifestyle, you probably are gravitating towards certain brands and certain foods. Like let's say if you're paleo, maybe you go and you stock up on your deli meats and your almond milk. Um, Those are all, quote, paleo-friendly foods. But if you flip that carton around or you turn that package over of meats and you start reading the ingredients, um, some of them, 
some of these food companies are kind of cutting corners a little bit and they're including things like carrageenan on the list. Not all of them, which is why I have it on the list so that you know to look for it so you can choose the other option. But carrageenan is used as a thickening agent, all right, an emulsifier. Um, it is found in deli meats. It is found in almond milks, um, but you can, but it will always, to my, to my knowledge, on this day, um, goodness, I don't even know what day it is. Uh, it's late September in 2015. On this day, I believe it has to be labeled. So you will always be able to find carrageenan on the label. Um, but anyways, so it's, it's a good thing to avoid. It will definitely, um, cause or can cause more symptoms if you suffer from IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. And then the reason why it's really caught so many of the headlines and none of the reason why it's on my list is that it has started to show signs um, in certain trials of contributing to some kinds of cancers. So that's a no-go in my book. And these are the five ingredients. I should have said that at the very beginning, but these are the five ingredients that I personally will go to the grocery store and we'll read for and look for. And if something has this on the label, I will put it back. Okay. And I, I personally follow a just kind of a mostly healthy lifestyle. I found that balance after my first overhaul and transformation, you know, six years ago. After that point, I dialed back on how strict I was with myself and I just started living life and making mostly good decisions, and my health has really sustained through that. I'm, you know, I've I've never felt better, um, and so I will fudge on some of the areas. I drink wine. I will go out, and I will not obsess over the ingredients on a menu. Minus for the big ones, you know, I I won't order wheat pasta, um, but these are ingredients that I will look for and will avoid. Okay, number two um, is another one that I will always avoid for the most part, if I know it's there, <laughs> is MSG, monosodium glutamate. It is a synthetic food additive, and it's relied upon for its ability to make foods palatable, if not hyper-palatable. So if you're trying to think about MSG, you know how you've ever had it, think about Chinese food. Have you ever had a plate or a bowl of Chinese food in front of you and you can't stop eating it. You've had whatever portion is, you know, you're, you're satisfied, your tummy's full, you have all the food you really need, but you are not going to finish until you've eaten every last piece of sesame chicken or every last noodle. And a, a reason, one of the reasons of many probably for that is the presence of MSG. Um, it really makes food hyper palatable. Um, and it's essentially... A, the reason why it's one to avoid um, is it's highly suspected. I'm going to put that disclaimer on it because some of the studies are a little bit wishy-washy. But it, it's enough to, and I've had enough of my own personal experience, but it, there's been enough news and enough research for me to put it on the list that it's suspected to be a neurotoxin. So if you've ever experienced a headache after you had Chinese food, it's I would tend to say it's probably because of the presence of MSG. And if you really start doing some digging into the research, you will find that some studies support the safety of monosodium glutamate. Um, and I'd also be willing to bet that you will find the financial backing of said studies that found it to be safe. 
have a lot to gain. Those companies that probably paid for those studies are probably also the companies that are putting it in food, um, and a lot of their income comes from it. So keep that in mind if you do decide to Google, which I always encourage you to do your own research. Number three, ingredient. I will avoid anything that has the words natural flavor or natural flavoring on the label. Um, natural flavors, it will probably be, let's say if you flip over a, um, a bottle of mustard, that's probably going to be one of the most shocking ones to you. Mustard seems like such a benign food, right? It is mustard seed and vinegar. What else do we need to put in there? Well, go ahead and flip over the bottle of your favorite mustard and have a read. I'd almost be willing to bet that the very last ingredient on the list after salt and some other things that make sense to you, it's going to be natural flavoring. Natural flavoring can, it's essentially a, gosh, it's like a, it's like a cloak, you know, it, it, it's this sneaky way for food companies because they're, because these ingredients are so part, the, the parts the relative part per um, bottle, for example, of mustard is so small that they can get away with, you know, sticking it under this cloak of natural flavor, but it can encompass anywhere between 50 and 100 trace ingredients. So even if you're looking on the back of a bottle and it's got four ingredients, let's say mustard, hypothetically, most mustards have more ingredients in this, but it's got, you know, mustard seed, vinegar, salt, maybe turmeric, um, and then natural flavors. That's five. You might think, oh, hot dang, that's awesome. This ingredient, this mustard only has five ingredients. Well, I would get, I would say that's false because that last one, natural flavoring, can actually be a cloak for a whole lot more. Some of the ingredients that can be cloaked under natural flavoring are innocent, you know, um, and some of them are not. So at the end of the day, and that can be a cloak for MSG. It can be a cloak for gluten-containing ingredients. It can be a cloak for a lot. So at the end of the day, I recommend you opt for foods that will blatantly and brazingly display all of their ingredients on the label. Even if it takes up an entire panel, they will do it so that you can sit there and you can read them all. And if you understand all the ingredients and you feel good about it, then you feel then then you probably feel better about buying it and serving it to yourself and your family. Otherwise, I tend to think, well, what the heck are they trying to hide? Why not put the ingredients on there? Why put natural flavoring? So I tend to think, you know, guilty until proven innocent when it comes to natural flavoring. Okay, number four, canola or vegetable oils, other vegetable oils. So these are two ingredients that I will avoid, I would say, 90% of the time. The 10% of the time that I will probably have canola or vegetable oil is when I'm eating out. And I know that the food is probably cooked in canola or vegetable oil. And even though I might ask that they cook my food in butter instead, because butter is typically always available in any restaurant um, and usually safer. Um, I know I'm I know I'm not catching them all. So that's but that's one of those circumstances where I just kind of shrug it off. But when I'm buying pre-made food or food that I'm bringing into my home that I'm going to use to cook from, where I've got the option to sit there and make my decision with all the, all the possibilities right in front of my face, I will avoid them. And one day I'll do an entire episode on the health-promoting versus the health-depleting oils and fats, but for the time being, I encourage you to avoid anything made with canola or vegetable. And instead, look for 
butter, olive oil, coconut oil, or maybe even um, palm shortening. And that's also a rabbit hole we can chase because there's not sustainable sources of palm shortening and there are some sustainable sources, but those are 50,000 foot view. Remember, we're just dipping a little bit lower. Those are some good ones. And the reason why we avoid vegetable and canola oil, it all boils down to that balance of inflammation once again. There are foods we can eat that promote anti-inflammatory efforts and there are foods we eat that promote more inflammation. And when the, in the world of fats, we have, I'm going to take a very basic view again, but we've got omega-6 fatty acids and omega-3 fatty acids. And you're probably familiar that we should be taking omega-3 fatty acids um, in pill form. You know, I've heard it's heart healthy. I've heard that fish oil is really good for you. Well, the reason why omega-3 fatty acids, we tend to take those, is because they tend to be anti-inflammatory. And our body, although we do need omega-6 fatty acids in our diet, which you will find in seed oils like canola and vegetable, um, our standard American diet, or even the diet of those of us who try really hard to cook our own food, tends to be way too high in omega-6 fatty acids. So in that imbalance of way too many omega-6 and not enough omega-3s is what causes some additional inflammation in our body. So what's an easy way to kind of help balance out that ratio once again, bring those omega-6s back down and bring those omega-3s back up? It's to cut out the biggest culprits. And the biggest culprits are vegetable oil and canola oil for omega-6 and to start boosting your omega-3 consumption. Healthy fish is a good option. Sardines, an awesome option. If you can do it, I, I applaud you. Um, butter is another good one, and then all those other healthier fats. So anyways, I will talk more about that one day, but I will always avoid, to the best of my ability, those ingredients. Okay, next. Um, the last ingredient that I will always avoid when I'm in the grocery store is gluten and all of the deceiving little, you know, gluten cloaks that it can ride in on. So that can include, and if you're curious about why I avoid gluten and you're not familiar with the paleo diet, um, one of my favorite books to recommend, honestly, because there aren't enough, there's not enough minutes in today's episode left to talk about it, but one of my favorite books to recommend is Wheat Belly by Dr. Davis. If you are curious about the benefits, um, excuse me, the, the risks of a gluten-containing diet. And Dr. Davis is not necessarily paleo. He's a cardiologist who implemented these practices with his own patients and have seen just kind of miraculous results. So I encourage you to give that a read or a listen if you are an audiobook person like myself. Okay, so I will avoid gluten and in all of its forms. And it can show up in artificial food coloring. It can show up in baking powder. It can show up in food starch. Um, safe starches, for example, if you're looking for an alternative, could be arrowroot, potato starch, tapioca. All of those are good. Glucose syrup can contain it. Um, and just backtrack a second, baking powder, an alternative to baking powder, of course, would be baking soda plus a little acid. So if you're trying to bake gluten-free, 
um, I encourage you to maybe try swapping out that baking powder, which has big beauty of baking powders. It's pre-balanced. It's already got the acid and the basic component in it for that chemical reaction to allow your baked good to rise, right? Baking chemistry is so much fun. Um, and I do not understand it as well as some, but I got kind of the basics down. So baking soda is just the basic component. So in order to trigger that to have a reaction in your baked goods, you have to add some sort of an acid into the food. I will often add lemon juice or apple cider vinegar or something like that to really trigger it. And you can get there easily. Uh, food starches, like I said, glucose syrup, like I said, malted anything is going to have, for the most part, gluten in it, wheat gluten in it. Soy sauce, unless it's labeled gluten-free soy sauce, like tamari will have it. Um, etc. So when in doubt, I encourage you to grab the bottle that says gluten-free because if you can't remember all of those ingredients, and I can't sometimes, sometimes I have to sit there and think, oh gosh, was that crazy ingredient on that list a cloak for gluten? Um, because it's kind of impossible to keep the long extensive list in our brains at all time. That's why it's become handy that so many food companies are now labeling their products gluten-free if they are gluten-free. So even though just because something's labeled gluten-free does not make it a health food, it at least helps you avoid some of the sneakier ingredients that you might be confused by. Okay, so that's the whole list. And if in listening to this, you know, I, I have a word of caution, I guess. If you feel after hearing that list, your toe kind of dipping back into that perfectionist pool, um, you know, I want to say, you, you know, do I still personally consume some of these ingredients that I've talked about today? And yes, yes, I do. I will eat out and I choose to experience eating out as an effort to, you know, quote, get close, get pretty close, where I have that 60,000 foot view of my big food bucket choices and I make decisions based on those big food bucket choices. And sure, probably the, the, chicken that came on my salad the other day might have had carrageenan in it, but you know what? I'm just trying to get close because I'm eating out. And when I'm cooking from home is when I really do my best to make things as good as they can be. So we're getting to a level of informed decision-making without the stress of making flawless choices. So I hope that makes sense. That's really what I'm after with this, with this show, is to give you information to make really good choices, but I also don't want you to stress and obsess over whether or not it's right or wrong. Because when we tend to obsess over being perfect, we're either all in or all out. And I really want to show you guys that the middle ground, you know, that, that world of moderation, which is such a, hor like a difficult thing to articulate, but that middle ground of 80-20, whatever you call it, moderation, is it's comfortable, it's expansive, you can make it your own, and, and it all comes down to you listening to your body and following your body's advice. Because at the end of the day, you know what's best for you. So, okay, awesome. Well, I'll recap really quickly the five ingredients that I would avoid, um, and I do avoid, especially when I'm shopping in the grocery store, include carrageenan, MSG, including all the other names that it comes under. I encourage you to give that a quick look up if you're curious. Natural flavoring, canola or vegetable oils, and gluten in all of its form. So I hope you guys have an 
awesome week, an awesome day. Thank you again for joining me. We'll be back again next week.